Hello and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Great show for you today. Loser Stanley Cup champs for the first time in their franchise history. I'm going to start the show chatting with Joe Crisali, my resident hockey expert, about how the Blues did it. The Stanley Cup championship performance by Jordan Bennington in net. Ryan O'Reilly winning the Conn Smythe. How the Boston Bruins came up just one game short. We talk a little bit about Jordan Skinner's contract and the NHL draft coming up as well. And then I talked to Ryan Souls about the Golden State Warriors in the NBA keeping it going, staying alive in Game 5 despite Kevin Durant's catastrophic injury, what the Warriors need to do in Game 6, how the Raptors can respond, and where do we go in the NBA offseason, which is already pretty much underway. It's Joe Crisali and then Ryan Souls on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, hockey season is over one more time. Average Joe on the podcast, Joe Crisali, thanks for coming on. And we're going to talk Stanley Cup final, game seven in the books, St. Louis Blues, first championship, 51 years as a franchise. They get their first championship. Joe, I know we're both excited. Thanks for joining. Good morning. It's, it's great. And you know why it's great? Because Boston didn't win another championship. This is fantastic. I gotta say, I gotta say, Game Seven. Uh, the last, you know, couple of times we've had these Game Sevens in the Stanley Cup, there, it had been eight years since we've seen one. They're not as close as we would like. Usually, it seems like a team kind of runs away with it. And for the third straight year, for the third straight time, I should say, we've had a Stanley Cup Game Seven. The road team has won. So the Blues Road Warriors won an unbelievable journey they've been on, but. About just, like we said, <laughs> just like just we said, just like we said, we picked them. We picked them. We did. We finally got some series Losing right. Seven. <laughs> seven on the road. Hey, we may have been wrong the majority of the playoffs, but we got the one that counts. Blues were, I think, eleven and three on the road this playoffs. Six and seven at home. <laughs> Losing record at home, and they win the Stanley Cup. Unbelievable. And I wouldn't say that the game was necessarily like you were saying, but it was just. It was to me. It was a really close game throughout. Whether the score was four-one, but I mean, the Blues. It, the beginning of that game was teetering completely in the Bruins' favor. They were just going at them. They had the puck in their in the blue zone the entire first period for the most part. But the Blues, they took advantage of those of those two uh, scoring chances, and they put those two pucks in that. The one with seven seconds left just completely drained the Garden and just completely drained the Bruins. It was just like wow. We, they really need to come back from that. And then I, the Blues, they just didn't let off the gas. I mean, it's not like it was a complete back-and-forth game, right. but the Bruins definitely had the Blues on their heels at the beginning of the game. They were just kind of going at them and going at them and being very, very physical with them. And the Blues, they made that adjustment very quickly. They said, okay, if they're going to be super physical with us and they're going to be pounding us, we're going to give it right back to them. Like, you saw a couple plays where uh, I can't remember who was trying to get it in the zone, but it might have been... Alexander Steen, he got stood up by Zdeno Chara, just mm-hmm. played him perfectly. And on the very next play, the very next uh, possession for the Bruins, the same exact thing happened. Petrangelo stood up. I can't remember who, who the offensive player was, but it was. they were like, you can do it, we can do it. And then they just kept going, and they just kept going at him, and it worked out for him. Yeah, I, I shouldn't say it was a blowout. It was definitely a game that started out one way. The Blues took control, and as usually the case, the team starts pressing. The Blues were just able to completely overwhelm them late. But 
You mentioned a lot of good points there. How about Alex Petrangelo becoming the first defenseman, the captain for the Blues, becomes the first defenseman in NHL history to have a goal and an assist in a Game 7 in the Cup. Unreal. Unreal there. Shows, just shows how important he is to that team and how important he's been to them all year. When they, when they, he was hurt. You forget that the beginning of the season, he missed a good period of time. And it seems like maybe he didn't come around and start feeling normal like himself until after January when they started kicking it up a notch a little bit because they got their guy back. He really, it was that, that core piece that they were missing, I guess, at the beginning of the season, yeah. middle of the season, and what really helped them turn it around. And, and he, he was making so many important plays in that game. Oh, like, yeah. if they needed him, if they needed him to get down and play dirty, he was getting down and playing dirty. He was dumping and chasing. He was doing anything that they needed to do to, to win that game. He doesn't really get brought up like he should, I think, with the elite defenseman in the game, but he's definitely in that class. He's a workhorse. He plays upwards of 28 minutes a game. Uh, just phenomenal work by him. Player of the game, by far, Jordan Bennington to me. I mean, Joe, you oh mentioned how good the Bruins oh were playing God. early. 32 saves for Bennington, most ever in NHL history in a cup-clinching game. Just throwing that out there. This guy wasn't even the starter, wasn't even on the roster to start the season, was not the Blues goalie of the future. And he just responds by winning the cup and winning all those elimination games. Coming back and winning big time games against the Jets and the Sharks. Two games against Dallas when their backs were against the ropes. What I mean, there's nothing more to say. This kid is a legend already and he hasn't even played a full NHL season. It's I, I honestly I was watching it. when I was watching the game last night with Maddie. I mean, she was just wasn't really understanding how ridiculous some of the saves he was making were, so when they would show them in slow mo. He was like, oh, my God. Like He did, like, a complete full split. He was – his net coverage is unbelievable. Like, they might as well just put a brick wall up there because they weren't getting anything past him. And he was making it look so easy. There were a couple deflections where he couldn't see anything, and he had no problem with them. It's almost like he knew exactly where they were going to shoot it, exactly when they were going to shoot it, and he was ready for it. It's like – it was unbelievable. He was incredible. He's been incredible all year, and you love the mentality where he's borderline sociopath, where he just doesn't show any emotion. I think that definitely helps as well. Uh, he was he was oh, great. Oh, for sure. Goaltending made the difference. Him and Petrangelo. <laughs> yeah. Him and Petrangelo were the difference makers for them coming after that that run starting in late uh, January. Game five and game seven in Boston, he was unbelievable. That's two big games on the road in the Cup, and uh, just incredible work there. And we got to give just due to Mr. Con Smythe, my favorite story of the Blues run, Ryan O'Reilly. O'Reilly scored in the last four games, Joe. That hadn't been done since a guy by the name of Wayne Gretzky in the Stanley Cup did it. So <laughs> that's pretty good company, I would yeah. think. But, look, th Ryan O'Reilly was the best player, was the best skater on the ice the last couple of games, uh, the, definitely for his team, games four and game seven especially. But this was a guy, Joe, that everybody could have had. Everybody passed on. He was sitting there for teams to have. The Blues took a chance on him. He said in that phone call that was released with Doug Armstrong, the GM, let's go win a cup. And he backs it up and does just that. It was just a great story by a player who has completely flipped his career trajectory and now is one of the all-time legends who have won a con Smythe. Yeah, Ryan O'Reilly. Unreal series. Finishing with the goal and assist in that last game, too. I was honestly surprised. I thought Bennington was going to get MVP. <laughs> but yeah. O'Reilly for sure. But... I, I think it was O'Reilly because there were a couple games where Bennington lacked. And, and O'Reilly just did so much for that team. It wasn't just, it wasn't just the scoring. 
I mean, there were there were times yeah. when he would be playing defense, when he would weed the rush, when he would just put the team on his back. I thought you could make a case for Bennington clearly after that last game, but I remember it I is with Kevin Smythe too. It's the only playoff yeah. MVP where it's not just a Finals MVP. Exactly. Yeah, but I think Doc Emmerich and even NBC was expected to go to Bennington because. Doc was saying, he was like, oh, I wonder who's going to get it, like in a sarcastic voice. And they had a bunch of camera shots on Bennington, skating around the ice with no emotion on his face, like he just <laughs> won the cup. He's like, yeah, whatever. And then they give it to O'Reilly, but he he was just as deserving. So Yeah, Doc I mean, Emmerich is a legend. That's going to be awesome for him. Going from Buffalo to, to St. Louis to winning the cup is right. got to feel real good. And then David Perron, another guy on the team, he went last year the Golden Knights mm-hmm. lost, comes back the next year with a different team. The team that he was, he started with, and then he comes back, what was it, the third time with them as a free agent, and he <laughs> yeah. finally wins one with them. It's got to feel awesome. Yeah, yeah. there were a lot of guys on that Blues team that have waited a while. Tarasenko, Steen, Petrangelo. Incredible. Uh, Tarasenko uh, made an amazing play on that second, was it the second goal or the third goal? It was the third goal. Remember. The third goal. Third yeah. goal where he, and he, he anticipates the play he turns over his shoulder and he looks and he just makes an absolutely perfect pass to see what his options were and they just bury it it was just awesome incredible stuff still chatting with joe kasai and the money mitch effect about the blue stanley cup championship win the other side of that joe the boston bruins losing a game seven heartbreaking feeling they make this run they get all the way to the final and come up just a game short there was a lot that went wrong in this series a lot that went right but at the end of the day they were let down by some, some big plays and key moments. And I think for Game 7, two things are going to stand out for Bruins fans. One, Tuka Rask did not have his best game, let in two goals on his first four shots. And that second goal, Joe, that was Brad shot making a boneheaded play, being caught out there, going for a change, and really hurting his team. You mentioned that being the deflating moment of the game. Those would be the two I'd remember if I was a Bruins fan. Yeah, I, I agree with that. There's But there's a ton of other moments where they got – even more lucky that uh, when they were trying to Tarasenko just stripped the puck and didn't score. There are a bunch of they beat themselves. I mean, there was they had so many so many chances. The Blues gave them so many chances. There were so many times in that first period and even in that second period where the Blues were trying to clear it out of their zone and they just every time they flicked it up, the Bruins were there. There was one where I tried to clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pareko. Defender, I think it was Mac. Just, just grabbed it, just blocked it with his hand, passed it, and they were just getting shot after shot after shot. It's not like the chances weren't there for them. They just, they were just being way too predictable as for Bennington, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think, obviously, anytime you get to the final, you get to a game seven, you're right there. A couple plays go your way. I just feel like the Bruins didn't execute, didn't score when they had their chance. They fell behind early. The power play didn't get the goal that had been carrying them. And they got outworked. That Blues forecheck was incredible all postseason. Oh. It worked again. They, I think this was more of the Blues cleaning stuff up in their zone, and especially as the game went on. But Boston had their chances. I know there's going to be some injuries coming out. That's how it is every postseason. You'd like to see Rask play a little better. I mean, I know it wasn't necessarily his fault. The team really didn't score in front of him, so you're not going to win many games when you don't score. But it wasn't the Tukarask dominant game like he had an all right Stanley Cup but I think the Bruins fans would want a little more yeah I mean I wouldn't throw it all on Tuka he did give up four goals only 20 shots 
which is not great, especially in Like I said before, they had so many opportunities to put pucks in that, and they just couldn't do it. Not only yeah, no, I mean, I, I just think, I mean, look, Boston's going to be kicking themselves. I can't imagine losing this game, like, when you know it's all or nothing. But props to the Blues. So many good moments for that team, uh, especially celebrating the Cup with Layla, their fan, who's gone through some health issues. It, it awesome, was, just awesome. It was amazing. And like we always say, I mean, this team was in last place in January. They were the fifth or sixth seed, if you really break it down in the West. So we know as hockey fans, Joe, the NHL just get into the playoffs and you never know what could happen. Exactly. And then, like, even dating back to last year, they trade away Paul Stastny, right? And you're just like, okay, this team is going to start going through something. And then they get to the point this season where they're in place and you're like, okay, like, that's that's what's going on with them. They made those trades last year and then now all of a sudden they are where we thought they were going to be. And then now it's just like, damn. They were like, no, that's not who we are. We're coming back. And it was just going from last place in in that in that time frame is just to winning the cup is just ridiculous. So many cast offs too on that team. Tyler Bozak on there, Braden Shen, guys that weren't necessarily in the plans. Pat Maroon taking less money to come home. You know, Bennington not even being the main goalie and here they are. It's just remarkable that O'Reilly too. I mean, they just keep keep battling, keep playing, and, and they did it with depth. You know, maybe not the star players. It's funny that yeah. the Blues had bigger it names wasn't, on their teams the last few years, but this was the year they got it done. It wasn't even the top guys that were making the most important plays. Like, the guys that were really grinding it out and getting it done, like guys like Vince Dunn. Like, he made a few plays on defense where he was stripping the puck and he was clearing the puck when they were down a man. Samford, Samuel Blay was Samford getting that goal late. Samford, you know, yeah. Just... Pareko was awesome in that game. I mean, they they just were getting it from every every angle. Total and that pass was yeah. Tarasenko to Braden Shen was that third goal. <laughs> yeah, now that a, I remember. Yeah, yeah, it was a total team effort. You saw Schwartz making plays. You saw uh, all the way down the lineup, everybody stepping up. It was fun to see. Props to the Blues. Shout out to all my friends back there that are just going nuts still. And I do. I, I hope we have eyes on Brett Hall because my God, no one will celebrate <laughs> more. I'm curious to see what happens to the Cup this year. There's no Ovi, but I'm <laughs> want to see what they do. It's going to be good. And now we're at a point, Joe, where all the new, all the original expansion teams have won their Cup now. Blues were the last team. So the, the 67 expansion teams have won all of them. Now we're on to 70, which was Buffalo and Vancouver. Neither of those teams have won, so... We'll see. Pressure's on you guys. It's going to be a hot second for them. (laughs) I think so. I think so. Buffalo really hurting uh, after getting rid of O'Reilly. Well, Joe, before I let you go, a couple things to just address. What was your initial reaction to Jeff Skinner getting $72 million from those said Sabres? I think (laughs) you mentioned it earlier, and I was like, Jeff Skinner? Is is this who we're talking about? Look, he had a career year. He had a, he had a career year. So props to him last year for being a beast and being a goal scorer and being worthy of a big deal. This was a team that overpaid because they needed something. They need to keep Eichel happy. They need to make a push and keep their fan base engaged because it hasn't really gone that well. They overpaid. They paid a premium. So I think it'll be fine in the short term. But, ah, man, the last couple of years of that deal could be rough. You you got to think it's because he was the key cog to them getting where they did this year. Well, no, I mean, Buffalo didn't, 
I mean, Buffalo didn't make the. I mean, they were they were bad. Oh, this year. I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking no. Carolina. I'm thinking no, Carolina. He was good on <laughs> like, Carolina. Uh, but, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, Buffalo. Does that deal make sense for them? I mean, it, to me, it just doesn't make sense. I don't know why I was thinking. I was just thinking Carolina, but. I mean, I think it, I think if somebody. you can get a goal scorer like that, I mean, he had I think forty goals last year, so you can get a goal scorer and, and keep him long term. And I do think he's got some great hockey ahead of him. I think the years is what you know, paying paying a guy nine million a year when you can get forty goals if he can hit that mark isn't a bad value deal. But is he going to do that for you know eight nine years? I don't I don't believe that's the case. But we'll especially see. when he hasn't done it before, like last year was the best year he's had. And he, like you said before, he doubled, pretty much doubled, like what he's made in his entire career. It's more than that. And Buffalo, I don't know, like other leagues, you struggle at one player when you're not necessarily in it, in the thick of it, and it's not like the next piece that you need to succeed. It, it doesn't bode well because then when you have other players that their contracts are up, like when. Michael's contracts up when he when his rookie deals up and you have to re-sign him. What's that going to look like? And then you got guys coming through. And I think like you gave this money to Skinner, but you let O'Reilly go. <laughs> just if I'm a Sabres fan, I'm looking at that and I'm just like, damn! Like, are you joking me right now? And also, what this does for the rest of the landscape of free agency and players is it totally tips the scale in the favors of your. Artemi Panarin's and your Matthew Shane's because they're looking at Jeff Skinner mm. and they're saying, okay, this this guy has not produced. I was afraid you'd say that this point of his career, except for this one season. And I have done this for my whole career, and I've proven that I can do this. So that contract is now to them has to be a base level at where they where they want to start at because Panarin and Duchesne, for example, to me are better assets than what Jeff Skinner is. So. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting how these teams how these teams that go after these players respond. Like, I I definitely don't think the Rangers are gonna that kind of money for players. I don't think the Blue Jackets are gonna pony up that kind of money. So mm. I'm curious to see what happens with that. And then is Carlson gonna return? Now he looks at these numbers. There's a bunch of guys out there that are just looking at this, and <laughs> I don't know. Thanks for bringing that up, those two Blue Jackets players. <laughs> You're <boys>. welcome. <laughs> uh, I do think they're going to keep the Shane, though. I'm on their record there. You can you can quote that one. But, yeah, Panarin's pretty much gone. How much did you laugh when you heard that Eric Carlson might go back to Ottawa? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Could you imagine that? It's not like they got anything in return anyway for him. <laughs> That's a crazy deal. Where Yeah, even San Jose, if he goes back, it's like, all right, we didn't really give up much. We made a run to the conference final. It's not too bad. <laughs> And he, I mean, and that's not his. That wouldn't be his fault. That's the why he was hurt. Yeah. was hurt a lot of the year. He missed a lot of time, and then he was hurt in the playoffs. He just wasn't himself. I think he's going to be a Hab. I do. I think he's going to be a Canadian. Uh, got him and uh, Shea Weber together. That's that's lethal. Uh, all right. Well, last. Hey, Joe. Last thing. Drafts coming up a week from tomorrow. Where are we at in the Capo Hughes thing? With you as a Rangers fan, and the number two pick staring you in the face. I'm I'm still Kako. I'm all about Kako. <laughs> oh, it's great! It's great. Um, you know, two two pick in this draft is a great position to be in. And like I said, you're going to get a great player regardless. So don't just completely bash Jack Hughes here. But 
yeah, I man, what a nice position to be in. And at least at the very least know that you're going to get a bona fide top two line player next year right away. Not every team can say that. In fact, maybe not teams past two in the draft can say that. But it's going to be exciting to see how this develops and how this shakes out. Do you do you think one two is automatic? Hughes, Kako, whichever way that goes. Obviously, Absolutely, I put everything I have on it. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. And then after that, it's pretty much a crapshoot. You're looking at Cousins, yeah, Byram, Caulfield. It's isn't it great how like Jack Hughes is which one I'm drawing a blank right now which one of those guys is Jack Hughes's uh, teammate I guess he or a line mate from uh, Team USA isn't it funny how every year every year we get the number one pick will just one of his friends or line mates will just reap the benefits and be a top five pick like Dylan Strome was with same Connor thing, McDavid with, yeah same thing happened with McDavid I'm pretty sure it's cousin yeah yeah I'm not hundred percent. There's a lot of good talent. There's a lot of good talent in this draft, especially American talent. But okay, Capo is your guy. You're 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 rocking with him. The future of the Rangers. We'll see. I told you, I've already I've already got that in my mental state that that's the guy I want. And if it flips, it flips. But I'll be excited either way. Hey, Joe Crisali, pleasure talking hockey with you all year. Uh, it was fun, and our picks got better. They couldn't have gotten much worse. But they got better at the end. So uh, congrats again hey, to the I'll, Blues. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. My cup winner pick lost to the winner. So I'm cool with that. Hey, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, and Columbus, again, winning, uh, sweeping their way out of the first round through Tampa was historic. So I'll remember that one uh, for a while. But you know, they're <laughs> Tampa's, Tampa's early favorites to win next year. Plus 450, taking that. <laughs> no, I want to see what their mental state's like when they play hockey next year. That was a uh, that was a bad one. So we got to we got to see what they look like next year coming out of the, out of the gate. Uh, maybe the bet, maybe just looking at the odds originally is. I mean, the Blues I think are ten to one to repeat, but uh, maybe Toronto twelve to one. Maybe they can finally get through. If Toronto, if if Tampa's mentally a little like injured, Boston's fatigued from this run. Maybe next year's Toronto's year. Something to think about. I mean, I was looking at these two and Avalanche plus twelve hundred. I don't know if they could go on one of those runs. But here we are talking about next year already without <laughs> anything. No draft. No one's getting no signed yet. So we should slow our roll. We definitely should. All right, Joe. This was fun. Pleasure of having you on the Money Mitch Effect. We'll be catching up soon. But always fun talking hockey. Yeah, man. All right, huge thanks to Joe Crisali for coming on Talking Hockey, not just today, but all season, all playoffs. And once again, props to the Blues. St. Louis Blues did it. If you're a Blues fan, 100% celebrate it and enjoy the Stanley Cup. It was an enormous moment for the city and for the franchise. All right, now time to talk NBA with Ryan Souls. The Warriors are still alive, but without Kevin Durant, we break down Game 5. What the Warriors and Raptors each need to do tonight in Game 6. Where Durant goes from here. Who, if anybody, is to blame. And some NBA offseason news and notes, including Anthony Davis's continued drama. It's Ryan Souls now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect. To talk NBA basketball, yes, we're still in season. Ryan Souls joining me now. Ryan, uh, it's always good to chat about some hoops, but I got to say I was a little worried that the season would have been over the last time we were chatting. 
Yeah, man, me too. Like, it's just everything that's happened since the last time we talked and getting to this point has been so much just drama off the court, you know, one particular organization and then leading into the playoffs has been a great round of, I mean, a great playoff um, series as a whole, just going from April to now. But we all know it was looming as of a couple nights ago. Yeah, game five of the NBA Finals saw the Warriors stay alive and defeat the Raptors in thrilling fashion. 106-105, Raptors missed a buzzer beater late. A lot of lead changes in the fourth quarter. Uh, it was marred by Kevin Durant's injury, which I want to get to in a second. But first and foremost, Ryan, was this not the ultimate heart of a champion performance by the Warriors who looked dead and buried down six with a couple minutes to play? Yeah, I mean, it really was. and I mean, even really before you got to them being down six, I thought they just showed being a heart of the champion when Kevin Durant went down and Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, even Iggy to an extent, they just kept hitting threes to just keep putting them ahead. So when the Raptors did make that run, you know, in game four, game three, when the Raptors make that run, it's it's a 15-point game. It's now it's six. It's manageable, and so that allows the the Clay Steph Clay three point sequence to happen. Yeah, I mean there was a, there was a couple you know phases of this. One, like you said, when Durant gets hurt, they stuck with it and didn't get blown out right then and there. But also mm-hmm. at the end, I mean what Kawhi did in the last stretch was incredible. That ten zero run by himself. But that's when a team without their best player, with other injuries, Looney's now out for the finals as well. They were on fumes, and to somehow dig deep then get the win and get the win Ryan with their defense more than anything I think speaks volumes they had two of the worst possessions the Warriors did on offense to close that game and they still won they did and I mean they were as careless as they were with the basketball on offense down the stretch their defense really did make up for it you're right I mean Draymond making that play I know Lowry missed a shot badly but Draymond it looked like he got a piece of it definitely altered it to close out I don't know many players that could have covered that ground and made that play I think you got to give a lot of credit to the Golden State defense, and really, you look at Steph and Clay. Steph, if the Warriors do come back, looks like a sure bet to win his final Finals MVP that he's been so often chasing. Clay, especially too, Ryan, just two clutch guys that I don't think get even their just due for how well they perform when their backs are against the wall. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. And you know, you get you get decently easier threes in the regular season. The first couple rounds of the playoffs, those threes are a little harder, but in the finals, they're clamping down. We saw that boxing one that Toronto employed when Clay Thompson wasn't in the game. So they were, they, they knew this is how we lose if they get hot from three point land and Steph and Clay to their credit just kept firing and they kept making. Yeah. I got to critique the Raptors on the other side, Ryan, because Mm -hmm. while Kawhi was great, I still don't understand why Coach Nurse or, or whoever it was took that timeout. That's still mind-boggling. You're up, you're on a run, and they were the team that called the timeout. I know they may have been tired a little bit, but the Warriors were completely reeling on tilt, and that was the one thing that I think stands out to me. Yeah, I agree. And if the Raptors somehow lose this series, I think we'll be able to point back to that timeout that shouldn't have been called and you know, I hear what Nick Nurse is saying and that the use it or lose it timeout situation, but you've you got to have better situational awareness. And just to draw a quick parallel to football, you and I aren't the biggest Patriots fans, but the reason why we can just marvel at the greatness so much is because no one plays situational football better than them. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that, okay, in the regular season, yeah, this is a use it or lose it opportunity, but you got to be able to judge in real time. Hey, if I call a timeout here, we got a cyborg here who's just going off. And I don't want to quell that momentum. And if we lose because we're going into the red on our RPMs and we burn out that way, then so be it. But I'm not going to stop it and let them get a win. But that's my mentality. Well, in that same vein, you bring up a good point, situational awareness. Do you think they could have handled it better? I know it's easy to say because the shot didn't go in. But they get called. The Warriors get called for that moving screen on Boogie. Raptors ball about 16 seconds left. Should they have taken a timeout, drawn up a set? It just looked like late that Kawhi got into his offensive set and there wasn't much going on. I agree. I think you definitely could have called a timeout there and, you know, you draw up something to where because you know Kawhi is going to get double teamed. But you have a, a, a better sequence because, I mean, what happens, Iggy comes on the double team. He swings to Van Fleet. And Van Fleet makes the correct play. The ball's supposed to swing. But I think if you draw something up better, you give Kawhi the opportunity to where if he can't hit the shot, he can make the play to get somebody open. Because as great as Van Fleet had been, especially after the birth of their child, I'm not putting the ball in his hands to make the play at the last situation when Kawhi gets double. Yeah, I just want to be clear. I, I, I think it, it goes team by team. A lot of teams do better when they don't call timeout and they could just play in the flow of the game. It didn't look mm-hmm. like the Raptors had any real experience with that based on that possession. It looked very rushed. Uh, but, again, I mean, it, it's, it was a shot. It wasn't maybe ex- executed as crisply, but Draymond comes over and makes the play. I do want to point out one other thing. I know the Warriors have gotten away with their fair share of breaks and calls. Some questionable ones went against them this last game. You know, oh, the screen, that, that screen on Boogie goes uncalled a lot. A lot. Every game. And if you really wanted to nitpick, Draymond gets over. It looks like Gasol is holding him a little bit as well at the end. So, mm-hmm. again, I don't really want the officials to be at the center of this thing. I think these all do even out. But it was definitely not a, a, a situation of the refs aiding the Warriors in this win. Right. And it's funny you say you don't want the officials to be at the center of this thing. I don't know if you know this. I'm sure you do. But Draymond has six techs now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, one more. Yeah, so, I mean, it could definitely be a problem. And the last thing I'll say, too, and this is a question, uh, in that last sequence, do you think Kawhi had time before Iggy comes over to just drive baseline and try to pull up for two? Or do you think he made the right play and just get the ball out of his hands? The only thing I'll criticize Kawhi for in that situation was not making his move quicker. By the time he got into it, I think that was the right play. It's funny, he kind of laughed it off, and that's just who he is as a player. He's just going to make the right basketball play. Mm -hmm. The Warriors were going to take the ball out of his hands at all costs, though. So I think that was the other thing as well. Uh, Ryan Soles here on the Money Mitch Effect. I did want to get your thoughts on the Durant injury, it sucks. It's unfortunate. We found out today as we record this on Wednesday that it was officially an Achilles injury, which we all figured he had the surgery, vowed to come back as we expect him to give it a complete go. But, Ryan, a lot to unpack about this. And I think the thing that sucks from us, for fans, not obviously for him, selfishly as fans, we really wanted this matchup. And mm-hmm. even the ones that don't really have a rooting interest wanted to see Durant in the mix with Kawhi. So I know selfishly it's something that – we reprioritize, but that's something that I think as fans we were a little cheated out of because I really would have liked to see. I know we're dreaming and we want him to be better, and, and that's the priority, but it sucks we didn't get to see Durant Kawhi at Kawhi's level right now. 
Oh, I agree. You know, just from a fan perspective, you know, you you hurt for Kevin Durant just personally, but from just a strict fan perspective, you definitely want to see everybody at full strength um, when they compete. So, I mean, it just makes it even more of a disappointment. I'm with you. I want to give him props first for for being willing to go on the court. Now, we'll get into why or, or who might be to blame if anyone is to blame. But at the end of the day, Ryan Durant is a competitor. He proved that. And he wanted to get back out there. We can say it might be a little too much bravado or, or getting bad advice. Whatever whatever the case may be, I think this just proved that Durant is at his heart a competitor, maybe even to a fault. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a competitor. and I don't know if this is a situation where he needed to be saved from himself. I'm not sure, but I can't knock the, the fight in the dog, so to speak. Well... What was really a shame was how good he looked to start. He knocked down mm-hmm. a couple threes. He was playing within the offense. He was giving the Warriors what they needed, another offensive threat, better for their spacing. And then the injury happens. You could see his Achilles that we now know for sure pop basically on the slow motion replay. Mm-hmm. It was an emotional scene. And I'm just going to say this. I don't, unless he was completely misdiagnosed, Injuries do happen in sports, Ryan, we know. And and maybe they didn't know that he could get hurt worse. Maybe it was a continuation of the injury. Maybe it was something entirely different. But it's hard to say from the outside. We're not in that locker room. We're not there day to day. We don't know what Durant was told and by how many people. He did get a second opinion. So for mm-hmm. that reason, I'm not going to throw the Warriors on the bus and completely put blame on the team in the front office because it, be, it would take something – very, very credible. A lot of hard, concrete evidence for me to say they, they did wrong by him. They screwed him, so to speak. Yeah, I, and I, I'm kind of with you. I, I'm not I'm not ready to say that they did wrong by Kevin Durant, but I would. if someone made the argument that they figure and was almost 100% that Kevin Durant was walking out the door anyway, try to get everything out of him that you can if he can play. If someone made that argument or if that's what happened, I wouldn't put that past the team to do that. And then secondly, and I'm, I mean, I think every professional athlete should get a second opinion when it comes to something like this. But if a second or third opinion or whatever cleared him, that's one thing. But the team doctors, especially in the NBA finals and the playoffs, they work for the team. So right. if they're clearing you not to play, then something is really going on. Chances are they're going to lean towards letting the player do what the player wants. And especially in a time like this to where if everything works out and, you know, Kevin Durant continues on his pace and drops 44 points and nothing happens, then, you know, we're having an entirely different conversation. But, you know, having the advantage of hindsight, it's so hard. Right. And, and I and I get that point. But as we've talked about, he is, you know, he's a grown man. He's a grown he, man. He, he's right. playing. His, this is his profession. He's not a college kid. He's making mm-hmm. money to do this he has his camp he has his people he wouldn't be on the court unless he really wanted to and he believed that he could play and then he was fine with if there was an injury risk which it sounds like there wasn't based on the fact that he did have a second and third opinion that it wasn't there i, I just i'm at a, i'm at a point with this where i i feel bad for all injuries but even if a, even if a team doctor is going to clear you and err on the side of the team i find it hard to believe that the warriors would have been like, all right, we're just going to run Durant completely, completely into the ground because mm-hmm. you know Game Five was a lot later than we thought we would see him, 
And, and I totally understand that there might have been pressure from his teammates, from the front office, from the media that said, hey, why isn't he out there? And we know that Durant, you know, for better or for worse, is kind of a sensitive guy. And, oh, 100%. And feeds into some of the criticism we know about the burner accounts and those things. Yeah. But he's making this decision. Yeah, so, and, and we could say that the Warriors could have handled it better, and maybe there's some fault for putting that pressure on him. But they're not saying you're playing or else. They're not saying you have to play. At the oh, end of the day, it doesn't work like that. And we all know. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you 100%. I will say, though, I'll, I'll say this. If in the locker room amongst his peers, I don't really care about the media. I don't care so much about the the president of basketball operations. But with his peers, his teammates, if it was more than pressure and it was a questioning of how hurt are you, you know, something to that nature, then I have a huge problem right. with that because it's still Kevin Durant's prerogative as a grown man to say he's going to play or not. But if that's the environment that you're having to make that decision in, then you can see why, you know, from the beginning of the season, we were hearing that he already had one foot out the door. Yeah. Now, I, I just don't think it would have been that case. Like, he was waiting for them, you know, after games at halftime talking with mm-hmm. the team. We know it's protocol that you can't sit on the bench if you're not active. Right. Um, if you're injured. So I don't think that was the case because I don't think he would have been as engaged. I mean, Kyrie Irving wasn't engaged last year. Not, missed, not at so. all. Not so, at all. And I saw what Richard Sherman said, his tweet about, like, every athlete, every competitor wants to be out there and will do whatever it takes. It's the mm-hmm. risk you take. So, um, And, you know, speaking of another guy in this series, Kawhi Leonard sat out last year, probably after being cleared, said his body didn't feel right, listened to it, and look at the difference now. So, 100%. Um, you know, I, I feel for Kevin Durant, as we all do. I just don't know how or if this would have been avoidable if players want to get back out for the finals. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But as far as this series goes with Durant out, the Warriors have forced the game six, Ryan. If you're the Raptors, Goosing game five at home sucks. A chance to clinch the finals, the game you could have won. Plus side is they've been the better team for pretty much every game this series. They have. So they can been... look at it in that perspective like we're fine. We just got to keep playing our game over 48 minutes and we'll win one of these next two. Yeah, and I think that's the only way they got to look at it. And in my opinion, I think the Raptors have to look at this as a, as a game seven. Because even with an undermanned Warriors team, you don't want to be up 3-1, them losing Kevin Durant, them beating you in Game 5 the way they did. And then you have all this pressure of a Game 7. You have not just uh, a city watching and behind you, but an entire country behind you. And Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green have really only been in that sort of environment before. The Raptors don't want that. I'm not saying they can't win, but I think they want to avoid that at all costs. And that's kind of, especially just how the way uh, Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard is wired, I expect them to come out like that tomorrow. He's but been a they, beast they do on the not road, want a game too. Seven. Yeah, he has. He I has. They don't want a game seven. You're right there. I think the fact that Kawhi is the player he is with the mentality he has makes them just fine on the road. They've already won twice in Oracle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they they need to get a full, complete effort from their squad. They need Ibaka Gasol to really exploit the mismatches down low. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, I think the Raptors got to look at it like we have to close out and this thing as quickly as possible. For the Warriors, though, it's going to be a, a, an all-time raucous environment because it's the last game ever at Oracle. So you got to add that to the mix as well. The mm-hmm. team's buzzing. They, they haven't really had... You know, I think the Warriors lost that one, I mean, Game 7 to the Cavs in 2016, but they've won a lot of elimination-type games. 
they've against Houston last year had a game six at home that they needed to win and they got it done after being behind early. So it's gonna it's gonna take everything and ultimately Ryan, it's gonna take Steph and Clay to both play well. I think that's the only way the Warriors win these next two games. If one of them is off, just one, I think the Raptors win. I agree hundred percent and and I'll even take it a step further. Not only do Steph and Clay have to play well, but they're gonna have to get points from Draymond, from Iggy, from Quinn Cook. I mean, for, because maybe Livingston too. I mean, yeah, absolutely, Livingston. Because I mean, even if, if Steph and Clay go for forty apiece, you still got to account for twenty-five more points. I think they need sixty at least. I think okay. they got they combined for sixty. It's manageable. The defense might tighten up. Mm-hmm. I think you tend to see these games later in these finals kind of go lower scoring. Right, because the D tightens up and they're more tense, and you know maybe some nerves factor in. Um, yeah, I mean, who's that next score going to be? Draymond hasn't really given them scoring; he's given them everything else. They probably need some offense. I would look at a guy. I mean, we know Iggy's clutch, and Livingston's been there, but maybe Quinn Cook. This is his moment. Mm-hmm. He's going to get the Cook. looks. He's going to get the looks. He's going to get the looks. The only problem is on the defensive end. I mean, you just when Curry and Cook is your backcourt, you got two undersized guards having. To chase around Lowry and Kawhi Leonard, I think so, the whole who the who the what the boogie situation's insane too. How does Kerr manage his big man? Because rebounding, he's been great. Everything else, he's been very bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I agree. I agree. You got I limited mean, options. You throw Jordan Bell in there. Bogut. I mean, Bell just has defensive liability issues. How mm-hmm. small can they go? That's when Gasol and Ibaka really need to emerge. I'm I'm very fascinated by that chess match as well. Absolutely, and I think. Um, for a coaching point, you tell me if you agree or disagree with this. I want Boogie to, to be able to play for as long as he feel like he, he can. But I don't want him out on the three-point line. I want to put him on the block, let him work against Ibaka or Gasol. And, hey, the thing is, how, how was the game played in the 80s? Not so much in terms of dominance of the big man, but how you get the ball to move is you penetrate with the big, you just put him on the block and you yeah. get to move the ball. And that can serve as a proxy for ball movement and having to keep Steph and Clay from having to run through so many screens. If you can plant Boogie down in the post, throw it down to him, it's going to collapse the defense a little bit because you still have to respect him. Like if he proves one-on-one that he can bang and get and win his matchup, then that's going to spread the four a little bit. Yeah, I'm intrigued. I, I think they're going to have to do some constant subs because he doesn't seem like he's built for 48 minutes. In, oh, oh, yeah, I cardio, agree. So. You know, I'm thinking like 21, 22 minutes, you know. And in the, spurts. The rest, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I'm going to say that I think this series goes seven, but I do think the Raptors will find a way to win game seven at home. I, I, think, I think we're seeing seven. I really do. Yeah, I... I'm so torn. If if I can't bet if, against the Warriors, I, it's it's hard, man. To, to, it's, gotta, it's hard like to Jason, bet against the Warriors. You got to kill the heart. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the Warriors are going to win tomorrow, but it's so tough for me to pick them just because of how well the Raptors have been playing. But this is the last game in Oracle. I mean, forever. So you expect them to come out and uh, put up a showing. But if they lose Game Six, uh, and it's a blowout. I can just I can't imagine the the sour taste that's going to be left in their mouths, you know, over the off season. I think that's just what they're thinking about, and you gotta that they, they gotta fight through. It's going to be fun. Can't wait, Ryan Souls. Before I let you go, talking NBA, got to talk about 
the Lakers, Anthony Davis, Rich Paul, Celtics in the mix now. Just been a, just been a wild thing, and we're, we're looming in the draft and the off season coming up. But what do you think of the reports today that came out that both the Celtics and the Lakers are going after Davis hardcore now? Yeah, so I didn't look at the report too much in detail, but this is kind of what I thought was to be expected. And not to bring it right back to Kevin Durant, but this is how this is the butterfly effect of you know him going down and being out for as long as he's going to be sends a ripple effect to the entire NBA. And sad to say, and, I, and I'm not proud to say this at all, but the Lakers could actually be a beneficiary of this because with the Knicks now, you're you're not going to trade for Anthony Davis, uh, knowing that you're not if you even if you got Kevin Durant. He'd be shelved for a year when Anthony Davis is free after that year. So I think now it just becomes a matter of if you're the Lakers, you got to get a third team involved because they're not going to be happy with the deal that they got in February. What else could they could they offer, especially with the new information we have now? Yeah. So and I'm talking about information in terms of Ingram with the blood clots and whatnot. So a third team's got to get involved, and I still think that. Danny Age is bluffing here because I get they're going to try to go in all Anthony Davis, but Kyrie is leaving 100%. He's bluffing or he's trying to drive the market price up to screw the Lakers. (laughs) Yeah, it could be that too. It could be that as well. All right, here's my issue with what's coming out. In addition to the Celtics, which may be just phony or or, or trying to hurt the Lakers, this Davis thing – they got a competent guy now in in the Pelicans. It's Griffin. Griffin is gonna is gonna milk this for all it's worth. They got Zion. Davis is gonna leave, but I, I think they might try to trot it out. And I don't think this gets resolved super quick. The other side of this too, Ryan, that it might hurt the Lakers and give them something to really think about. Mm-hmm. The Pelicans will make this deal with the Lakers if Kuzma's involved. That's that's Absolutely. what they want, and that's where they're we're at an impasse here. What would you do if you're the Lakers? You you throw him in because. He's the guy that, as far as long-term pieces, even longer term than LeBron, obviously, Lakers really don't want to lose. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, you really have to clear the decks and do whatever it takes if you're trying to win because it's not looking like Kyrie is going to want to pair up with LeBron. I don't think Kawhi Leonard is going to want to pair up with LeBron, and I'm not saying that as any shot against LeBron. I think it's more of just a situation in L.A., and there's just better options with better infrastructure who can still offer max contracts. So to me, it's Anthony Davis or Buss, unless you want to take your chances in, you know, the Chris Middleton, uh, Meritich, you know, sweepstakes where, okay, LeBron's going to be the superstar, and we're going to put, you know, we're going to build it like Milwaukee. We're going to put a, re- a bunch of really good players around, but no superstar, second superstar. So I think those are the two options. Yeah, this has just been never-ending. I'm kind of sick of it, honestly. I'm sick that Davis and Rich Paul, Rich Paul got on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about wow. The offseason. So that tells you where we're at now. But yeah, where we're at. I just, mm-hmm. I'd rather this just didn't play out as publicly, but that's kind of where we are. And and Ryan, at least uh, at least the Lakers have some competent people, you know, pulling the strings. So that's good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just per- perfectly competent. The the, the Rambuses and company. I I just I, this is just making me of everything of Magic going on TV and Palenka and not really having a, a good reputation at all, and no one wanting to work with him. Really a bad look for Genie. Genie Bus is the one that I look at losing the most respect for me because. 
it's all top down. I think we know that about sports and businesses in general, and that's where I think they really messed up. I mean, her decision making has just been terrible. A hundred percent. And really, all you have to do is look at the sequence of how they got to Frank Vogel as the coach. Frank Vogel's not a bad coach at all, but how they got to Frank Vogel is just was a dumpster fire. And the fact that I know we joke about Tyron Lue, but NBA NBA coach contracts are pretty standard, and they had an option. The fact that they messed that up, right? Wow, I mean that's right. just that's bad. But we'll have to see. Do you think uh, one last thing? Do you think that Davis gets traded before the start traded before the start of the season? Um, I do. I think, but that meeting with him and Griff, I don't think there's anything that can be done. And I think at this point, it's more harmful for Zion to have a guy who doesn't want to be there in the locker room. So I think you do you get the best value that you can, but I don't think you can come into camp with Zion and Davis both on the roster. It's just it's too bad for because if you do that, you risk doing exactly what you just did. Anthony Davis over the last seven years to Zion Williamson. Yeah, well, I see that argument, but I don't know if they can get that deal done. It's going to be fun to see how it plays out. Ryan Souls, this was fun. I know we'll be chatting about Game Six and possibly Game Seven. So still some, still some basketball left before the offseason, but always a pleasure chatting with you on the Money Mitch Effect. You too, man. Happy to do it. Huge thanks to both guests, Joe Crisali and Ryan Souls, for coming on today's show. And a reminder, you can find every episode of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect and it comes right up. Check me out on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. And follow The Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for all news and notes. If you're a golf fan, enjoy the U.S. Open this weekend. Got some more basketball coming up tonight. Maybe a Game 7 Sunday night. Father's Day could be huge. And again... Props to all St. Louis Louis Blues fans around the world. Enjoy your cup. It's a special moment. The hockey playoffs are over. I'm sad about that. But at least a championship drought has been ended. St. Louis Blues are cup champs. Enjoy it. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, especially if you're a Blues fan, (laughs) keep enjoying sports.